Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, where we discuss all things wellness. I'm Eleni Welch, nutritionist. And I'm Kay Boyer, health enthusiast. Welcome back, Renegades. Welcome back, Renegades. Welcome to another podcast of Eleni's Smart Things on Nutrition. Oh. Okay, that was basic. There we <laughs> that was go. basic. <laughs> Um, and this week, I am so interested to know all the things about gluten. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I specifically had non-gluten um, French toast for breakfast, too, oh. knowing that we were preparing for this. So uh, I hope that was a wise choice. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, no works. Cool. So, Ex- excellent. Yeah. yeah. Well, all the ins and outs and good alternatives and things, um, how it's affecting our life. And I want to know all the things. Yes. Well, gluten yeah. is, I, I think what spurred the topic for this week is I just within the last few weeks had three um, wellness consultations with three different clients and all three of them had drastically different things that they were coming to me for. So. Yeah. One of them was having issues with eczema and skin rashes, and one of them was having issues um, with their like kidneys and their gallbladder, and mm-hmm. one of them was having issues with digestion. And for all three people, very different things, the solution that we came up with was a gluten-free diet. Really? Okay. I'm curious how you came to know like the gluten was the main. Right. Okay. Because it's kind of the main thing of a lot of things, and it's yes. really like it's a very common problem. And so just going through that, I was like, wow, three different people, three very different concerns Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the same solution for each of them. I was like, I think it's time we talk about gluten on this podcast. Yes. (laughs) And I put it off, you know, sometimes because I know for whatever reason, gluten seems to be kind of like an emotionally charged topic for some people. You're right. Like, don't touch my bread. Uh, You've already taken away my sugar and you've already taken away my salad dressings with the like inflammatory oils. Like, just leave my gluten alone. Don't touch. Yeah. Don't touch my pizza crust. Don't touch my yuck. Yes. It is emotionally charge you're right i feel a, a warmth and a happiness when i eat it i think too people have a lot of like family memories that are mm-hmm. based around bread products yeah. so whether that's a, like pancakes or meal. french toast or yes. waffles that they would make every saturday growing up with yes. as a kid or yes. like whether it's like the fresh baked bread that their mom would make on yes, sundays that smell that yeah. sweet aroma or the like I don't know, the pie that their parents made for Christmas. Like, I just think people have a lot of memories with gluten for some reason. And gluten typically, I'll add to that, is typically with dairy and sugar in that and makes the gluten so yummy. It's all (laughs) combined. And I will say, too, I think one of the problems with gluten is, like, unlike other things, like, say, like, sugar or dairy, where yeah. we've come up with really good substitutes for yeah. those things, yeah. or, like, the fats, like, the inflammatory oils, like... Do the better ones, yeah. Yeah, like, it's not hard to substitute, yeah. like, sunflower oil for avocado oil, right? Like, that's yep. not a hard substitute, and it's not really that hard to substitute, like, coconut milk for yeah. regular milk right. in a recipe, right. Right. and it's, like, really, sugar has so many substitutes yep. that, like, yep. yeah, maybe they're not identical, but there's so many good-tasting yep. things that are sweet that are still yep. good that can mm-hmm. replace it, whereas gluten is, like, 
It is hard to replace gluten in a recipe. It just yes. doesn't look or behave or taste the same. Totally. It doesn't have that good like bounce back. You know what I mean? With the like that yeasty. Yeah. You're right. And I mean, listen, cauliflower crust is amazing, but it sure ain't real yeast crust. Right. Yes, you're right. 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 So I think that's part of it for a lot of yeah. people is they get frustrated with gluten free products and I understand mm-hmm. it, but Truly, it's an important thing for us to talk about because it is a um, key contributor to a lot of health problems for many people, and Mm -hmm. many people are sensitive without realizing it. And so even though it's difficult to remove from our diets, I can tell you I have been fully gluten-free for like four years, and it's not difficult anymore because you just get used to it and you don't... you. To me, I would crave carbs more than anything else, I think. Yes. yes. And I just don't really miss it anymore because I've yeah. adapted. And it's not yep. even on my radar. So yep. when we go to somebody's house now and they yep. have like bread or pie or whatever, I just don't eat those things and I don't miss them anymore. But yep. it's skip those it, things. Yeah, yep. it took a while to get to that yep. point. And I can appreciate the journey of yeah. getting to that point And I have empathy for it, but I'm just... Yes, it's yeah, a big enough it's problem. Important. It's worth talking about. It's worth yep. keeping an open heart and an open mind about, though I know that that can be difficult. And everybody that I talk to about removing gluten has some sort of a reaction. And actually, we'll talk about that, the emotional reaction okay. piece of it and why people tend to get upset or angry when you suggest they eliminate it, because there's a psychological element to it that's real. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a difficult topic to approach because I think it tends to create extremes like on one end of the spectrum are people who are like oh gluten's harmless it's become a scapegoat yeah everybody wants to blame all of their problems on gluten gluten free is a scam like yeah Yeah, it it feels like this like oh it's not real Mm -hmm. like gluten problems it's not real I'm even gluten free for like a year and I feel great but this weekend there was a piece I was at a market there wasn't much to eat and there was like bread offering and I was like I'm hungry. There's nothing to eat. You know what? It's not so bad. Just eat it. I haven't had troubles. I'm going to eat it. And now I got these zits right here. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So I think on one end of the spectrum are people who think it's totally imagined and that it's in everybody's heads. And on the other end of the spectrum are people who think it's the source of evil on earth. Like, Ah. (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, Like that it's it's basically the like sole reason for the downfall of America. And so I want to land somewhere in the middle of that, because like all things, one gray, it's and I don't think there's one thing, one single thing that can be nailed down as the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Like downfall. Exactly. The reason for health issues like we clearly have had multiple episodes. We had an entire series on sugar talking about how sugar is linked to health issues. And we had an episode on fats and oils and we've had an episode on food dyes and artificial colorings Mm -hmm. and all of those things we have talked about being linked to Mm -hmm. significant health issues and how their introduction has resulted in the decline of general American health. And so, yeah, again, it's the gamut. It's the gamut. It's not just gluten. It's not just sugar. It's not just inflammatory dairy products. It's not just inflammatory oils. It's not just artificial food colorings. It's everything combined Mm, that comes together in a processed American diet. However, I will say 
that gluten is a huge instigator in in the issues that arise and that gluten oftentimes becomes, like you referenced earlier, a vehicle for other inflammatory things. Mm. Like gluten is often combined with dairy, sugar, Mm -hmm. and inflammatory oils yes yes typically if you're having one you're having all the rest of them all (laughs) this beautiful cake (laughs) but there are specific attributes to gluten that we know through research cause very specific health issues so it is also a sole contributor in its own right so it's not Mm -hmm. just because it's combined with, with sugar others. and dairy and and bad oils it's it is in its own right a problem okay on its own i'm excited to hear that because i i do want more proof to make me keep on this non-gluten eating journey and to give me alternatives i feel like i'm needing some 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 help and resources so i'm excited for this yeah yeah, yeah and i will say like everything we talk about on this podcast like the research is subject to change, right? So we might have one opinion today that can change tomorrow based on how the new research emerges. Um, and I think like a good scientist is not dogmatic about yeah. their position on anything. And I yep. try not to be dogmatic. Yep. Um, although the it's- the best with what we have at yeah, the time. Yeah, it's within my personality to be rather dogmatic, but in the field of nutrition, <laughs> I work really hard not to have that because research is always changing. And again, a good scientist goes with what the research says, not with what their emotions and personal moral stance says. Mm-hmm. So, yes, yes, fair. So, you know, this is, I, I will say that what we have for you today, the information that I share today on gluten is very much research-backed, very much scientifically I don't want to say proven because nothing's really scientifically proven, but scientifically supported. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it represents a very scientifically sound view on gluten. So I yep. feel confident in in the viewpoint we're sharing today. Yep. And this is mainly right would be like the American gluten, right? Is that also something we need to address? Yeah. So I'll okay. talk about that a little okay. bit. But yeah, American yes. products tend yes. to be more hybridized and we'll we'll get into that okay. um but yes gluten in general has its own set of issues the way gluten is processed in the u.s is particularly harmful so uh-huh. we'll get into that yeah but gluten on its own no matter what carries health effects for a lot of people so uh-huh. regardless of where it's from but yes but certainly the way it's done in the u.s is worse yeah. um <laughs> as it seems most things yep. are <laughs> Get down to the money. Yeah. Um, Okay, so with gluten, like, what's the deal? So for the first time in over 200 years, children born today are expected to have a shorter lifespan than their parents. Yes. We are officially in that time. We have inundated our kids with enough toxins, physical, chemical, and emotional, that their their predicted lifespan is now shorter Mm. than it has been for 200 years. We have peaked humans we have peaked yeah do better and there has been a rapid rise in childhood obesity which is the main reason for the predicted shorter lifespan because that comes with subsequent increases in the development of chronic diseases at younger and younger ages so now heart disease is becoming more and more prevalent Mm -hmm. in younger like younger adults in their 20s and their 30s didn't used to be that way, but now because of lifelong obesity, those chronic diseases that used to creep in yep. after a few decades of being obese that started in your like 40s, 
now your kids are obese at like two and three. And so it just takes a few decades for those conditions to result. And if they start becoming, if our kids start becoming obese at younger and younger ages, you're going to see those chronic diseases emerge at younger and younger ages. And then the toll on like the healthcare system and your family and your emotions and the health insurance costs and all of that. Like, yeah, it's a problem. Absolutely. Um, And indeed, type 2 diabetes, which used to be called adult onset diabetes because that's when it would occur, um, can no longer be called that because it's now being diagnosed in children as young as 10 Mm. with newly diagnosed cases increasing at a rate of 5% per year. Mm. So each year that number of new cases increases by 5%. So maybe one year it was like 5% of kids were diagnosed with like child, like diabetes type two. And now the next year, 10% and the next year, 15% and the next year, 20%. Like that's the rate at which it's increasing. Okay. This conviction got me because I had gluten-free French toast, but I gave my kids gluten French toast. So (laughs) see, now I'm part of this problem. This will be part of the, this will be part of the K- being like, now I need to go grocery shopping. Yes, that's right, right, exactly. This episode will end like many others before it. Yes, now what's the change I need to make today? I'm going to go do it. Right. Um, so, So gluten is a topic that I'm asked about a lot as a nutritionist. And again, as we go through this, this podcast, because oftentimes the way I'm asked about it is like, Gluten's not really so bad, is it? <laughs> like, nudge, nudge. I can nudge. already tell you have the answer yes, you would like me yes. to say in mind. Yes. Um, so again, I encourage you to listen with an open heart and an open mind because it really is an important topic for us to discuss. And there's a lot of reasons why it um, is is emotional to so many people. So oh, good. And you'll um, give us better alternatives at the end. Absolutely. Because I'm already feeling like I'm spiraling here in my oh, seat. Oh, yes. <laughs> I'll give you Let's I'll give you kids. alternatives always. Okay. Um, so let's just start with an overview of the current Western diet compared to what our ancestors ate. So our ancestors, talking about kind of the the caveman ancestors, our original beings, they ate a diet that consisted the ones that weren't obese. Like, right. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. actually, like I feel like they did gain weight prior to the winter because they basically oh. didn't eat much through the winter so they kind of like and they're like hibernation that's when they would eat the most like carbohydrates and bread and and stuff was well not bread what am i saying (laughs) (laughs) they never ate bread that's a new recent invention they ate berries that's the word i was looking for love berries but they ate carbohydrates in some form in order to like fatten up for the winter Mm -hmm. um and then during the winter they didn't have those things and they would lose weight because they wouldn't eat much um (laughs) anyway so our ancestors ate a diet that was largely 75% fat, 20% protein, and 5% carbs. Mm. The typical Western diet today is 20% fat, 20% proteins, and 60% carbs. We flipped that. So we went from eating 5% carbs to 60% carbs and 75% fat to 20% fat. Mm. And keep in mind the majority of most people's fat intake comes from processed inflammatory omega-6 oils. oils. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's not like we're eating the high quality animal fats that our ancestors ate and that's the 20% of our fat intake. Mm-hmm. We're eating a completely different 
chemical that our body's based. like what did you just do what is me? this so it's not even like we're eating 20 percent fat we're eating like 20 percent chemicals so mm-hmm. <laughs> um obviously our diets have changed and not not for the better and unfortunately one of the things that has drastically increased is the consumption of gluten so mm-hmm. a little bit of an explanation on what is gluten gluten is latin for glue that's literally what it is it's a binding agent it oh, holds things that's why together it has that, like bounce when you eat it you yeah, know yeah. It, yeah exactly it's a protein and it's a protein specifically that is found in many grains and it plays a role in the leavening process of flour-based baked goods um and it gives things that gummy chewy yeah. softness mm, so good <laughs> that is that. so hard to replicate <laughs> with gluten-free <laughs> um and unfortunately the things the, the nature of gluten that gives it that nice, gummy, chewy, mm-hmm. soft texture um, also lends to it having a sticky and tacky texture when we start to digest it. And that interferes with the digestion and breakdown of our nutrients with digestive enzymes. Oh, really? Yeah, it leads to poor digestion of gluten and it leaves this pasty residue in our gut that can trigger the immune system to engage and can con- result in chronic inflammation in the gut okay well listen this is already convincing me (laughs) wow so gluten means glue and it literally acts as a glue in your system would (laughs) you drink glue no (laughs) and for most exposure for most americans their exposure to gluten comes from wheat and wheat products i Mm -hmm. think that's what we're most familiar with is some people even say like oh i go wheat free as if that means gluten-free, but they're not synonymous. Um, Gluten is found in a lot of other grains, including barley, rye, spelt, camet, bulgur, oats, (gasps) semolina. You stop it. (laughs) Do I gotta give up oats? There's gluten-free oats. You can get... They just have to be certified gluten-free oats. Otherwise, oats contain gluten. (gasps) Semolina. You're breaking my brain. Couscous. Mm. Farina. Matzo. Gus off Cinderella. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wheat germ and triticale wheat germ mm-hmm. yeah right. i guess the word wheat in that would, uh-huh. be, a giveaway, would be a giveaway but, but i thought it was some like residue on i don't know okay. yeah um and in fact gluten is also one of the most common food additives on the planet um we can find it in sauces soups condiments salad dressings spreads dips gravies and more factories stop it i know just stop and it. it's also a common additive to personal care products um oh. including lotions shampoos conditioners hairsprays gels mascara give it more of that plumpy maybe mm-hmm. and glue it on your face <laughs> yeah yeah, oh. it's a thickener, right? Like yeah. gluten acts as a thickening yeah. agent. So any thickening, shampoos, thickening sh- conditioners, a lot of mascaras, anything that's trying to thicken wow. oftentimes uses gluten to do it. And I have seen it in products. Um, so Our agriculture system is also not liking this. Okay, yeah. keep going. All my word. <laughs> so why is this a problem? I mean, uh, well, there's a lot of reasons why it's a problem. It's currently estimated that one in every hundred people um, worldwide are celiac, Mm -hmm. um, which celiac is a specific autoimmune condition where your body reacts very poorly to gluten. So gluten becomes a target of your immune system. Every time you eat gluten, it drastically can interfere with a lot of your body's processes. And we'll talk about celiac in a little bit more detail, but, 
Um, one in a hundred people are known celiac, but health experts in the world of nutrition estimate that that number is actually closer to one in 30 and that there is an estimated 2.5 million Americans alone who are undiagnosed with celiac disease. Wow. And the interesting thing about that is celiac can have a lot of different manifestations. And so there's kind of this grouping of symptoms that are considered the classic symptoms of celiac, but not everybody reacts that way, which is why we think there's so many people who remain undiagnosed. But one in four people are genetically vulnerable to the disease. So one Mm. in four people carry the genetics to be celiac. Not everybody becomes celiac because like any autoimmune condition, there are multiple triggers that have to occur throughout a person's life. Mm. So there are the genetic triggers that predispose you to developing the disease. But then there are also many um, environmental triggers that have to be in place for the autoimmune condition to occur. But one in four people are susceptible to developing celiac disease, which is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. And and alter- alternately, like many people also carry genes that code for mild versions of gluten intolerance, which just results in this wide range of gluten intolerance, which is why so many people remain undiagnosed. So they may have one of the genes for celiac and they may have gluten intolerance, but they don't have the classic basic like phenotype of, of celiac. So Um, And additionally, the clinical test for celiac disease or gluten intolerance typically involves examining the tissues of the small intestine for damage, Um, but gluten sensitivity can affect any organ in the body, not just the small intestine. And so for an individual for whom the small intestine is spared, an examination of the small intestine is not going to reveal anything, but they may still be celiac. But that is the basic... Mm gold standard diagnosis for celiac is to examine the tissues of the small intestine. And for for people who are having gluten intolerance, they may be told, nope, you don't have celiac disease, and they think that's it, and they move on, but they do. It just has not been damaging the small intestine. Yep. And then when you hear that from a doctor, you're like, oh, I'll just keep eating gluten for the rest of my life. Right. Like, oh, I'm in the clear. Yes. Still be your own detective and try it without and see how Mm -hmm. you feel. Yeah. I was hesitant to give up gluten, obviously, because it's amazing. But I honestly, I feel better this last year without it. I really do. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So an individual who's experiencing digestive complaints, such as stomach pain or pain after eating, nausea, diarrhea, constipation, irritable Mm -hmm. bowels, etc., They may see a GI specialist and they may receive a diagnosis of gluten intolerance um, or celiac disease. But first, the right diagnosis, diagnostic test has to be done, which may or may not be conclusive, as we've just discussed. And second of all, like a person has to actually go and see a doctor for those things. Very true. And how many people can you think of in your life that just live with these chronic complaints and don't do anything about it? Right. Like IBS problems, we live with it. Like mm-hmm. it's like, oh wait, well check that out. I feel like it's pretty common that people right? are like, yeah, well, I just have to schedule my day around my like bathroom schedule, and I'm like, okay, that's not normal, right? Right. But they're they're like convinced it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Because maybe it's been that way for a long time, and many of those people I think are celiac, and they don't know it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then there are some people who don't experience those GI complaints at all because they're experiencing a gluten attack 
somewhere else in their body, such as in their brain or their nervous system, and they don't have the classical symptoms of of celiac. So this episode is definitely not just for celiac, Mm -hmm. but I want to outline the issues that are present right now with celiac and why it's so undiagnosed. Um, and, And then get into why it's a problem, whether you're celiac or not. So Um, as many as 40% of us, celiac or not, Mm -hmm. cannot process gluten. Mm -hmm. And the remaining 60% of us are definitely not in the clear because gluten has detrimental health effects, whether you're sensitive to it or not. So non-celiac gluten sensitivity is extremely widespread and affects an estimated six times as many people as celiac disease. So Six times as many people, which we're already estimating one in 30 people, has celiac disease. Six times as many people have gluten sensitivity and don't know it and are just as negatively affected, although usually not to the extremes that somebody with celiac disease is. Um, And remember, I'll go into some of the... um, physiological things associated with that gluten sensitivity, but I would refer you to our Gut Health 101 podcast um, where we we talked about gut health and the digestive um, tract and some of the anatomy and physiology of that, and so I'm not going to go into as great a detail in this episode today, but if you haven't listened to that episode, go back to that Gut Health 101 episode, but um, just a brief review In a healthy gut, our intestinal cells are nice and tight together. So the cells are plump and they like press up once one like against the other. Think about it as like soldiers standing shoulder to shoulder in a line, right? So that nothing can get through them. And they have something called tight junctions between each intestinal cell. So there's an intestinal cell, tight junction, intestinal cell, tight junction. And the tight junctions prevent the passage of large proteins into the bloodstream. So basically our cells and those tight junctions make sure that the proteins we eat stay within the intestinal lumen and don't cross directly into the bloodstream until they've been fully digested into their individual amino acids and we're ready to absorb them and utilize them in our body. Um, Sometimes, however, the physical, chemical, and emotional stress and toxins, along with inflammatory foods or ingestion of foods we are sensitive to, can result in damage to our intestines and to those tight junctions. Then this causes gaps between the intestinal epithelial cells and results in something we call leaky gut. Mm -hmm. So now you're picturing, you know, here's the intestinal wall. In a healthy person, those cells are nice and tight together. Nothing can get between them. In the unhealthy person, those cells become damaged and kind of shrivelly, and the tight junctions become broken down, and now proteins can just leak between them. And it's not, that's, our body isn't made to, to handle mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happens, our body, um, our immune system becomes engaged because anytime foreign proteins are in our bloodstream, proteins that aren't supposed to be there, mm-hmm. our immune system is triggered, which you want. You want your immune system to yes. be triggered yep. <laughs> in those instances. Because when proteins in in the form from like bacteria and viruses enter our bloodstream, we want our immune system to engage and attack those things and remove them. But when it's foods that we're eating on a daily basis that are leaking into our bloodstream, it's not really a great thing to have your immune system constantly engaged at every mealtime, triggering the process of inflammation, 
putting like all of its forces into attacking the food that you're eating. Mm -hmm. That's what causes that chronic inflammation because your body never has a rest from those inflammatory processes. So those inflammatory processes are necessary and very good in the short term. And in the long term, when they're happening multiple times a day, not good. Yes, yes. (laughs) Um, So basically this inflammatory cascade that results can affect every organ system in the body. Um, And most often the inflammation starts out with digestive complaints and skin issues, food allergies and sensitivities, seasonal allergies, headaches, brain fog, memory issues, and overall fatigue. Those are the most common things I see result from these like, like leaky gut this leaky gut yep. condition wow gosh and that's just showing like our whole body's connected all mm-hmm. comes down like food through your system like yeah we are what we eat crazy and i'll t- uh, in addition to that gliadin which is the main protein in gluten so gluten itself is a protein gliadin is the main protein within that gliadin itself can increase the production of a toxin called zonulin which sounds like a space name, I know. But zonulin directly damages the tight junctions between our intestinal cells and breaks down the gut lining, increasing intestinal permeability and resulting in leaky gut. So gluten on its own contains gliadin, which directly triggers zonulin, which directly damages our gut. Wow. So even in the person who is not sensitive to gluten, all that a gluten sensitivity means is that gluten has been leaking into the bloodstream and the body now recognizes gluten as a foreign invader and is attacking gluten every time you eat it. That's what a gluten sensitivity means is that your body is specifically sensitive to gluten. But even outside of having a gluten sensitivity, gluten will cause leaky gut in your body And gluten itself may not become the problem for you, but other food allergies can result because it's allowing other proteins to leak into your blood. So that's why it's a problem, whether you're sensitive or not to it. Um, And it's directly making your gut more permeable. Wow. Wow. And for individuals whose immune systems are in top shape, um, they can handle that kind of assault from time to time. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, yeah. okay, you mentioned like, I've been gluten-free for a year and mm-hmm. then I'm at a market and there's bread and I eat the bread. Yeah. Like, it's possible that your immune system is healthy enough that it can just handle those things from yeah. time to time and yeah. you don't have to like beat yourself up yes. about it, right? Yes. Which is never the goal. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, yeah, we can handle a percentage of, yeah. yeah, bad. If you're non-celiac, you can generally handle some amount of exposure from time to time. But um, again... You have to know it's going to cause effects regardless of whether you're sensitive to it or not. And you're, you have to be doing all the right things otherwise in order to prevent that from becoming a problem. Mm-hmm. And notice I said we can handle that kind of assault from time to time. <laughs> I'm not, not breakfast, lunch, and dinner <laughs> exactly. every day. <laughs> exactly. By time to time, I mean maybe once every couple of weeks, maybe once a month. That's what I yeah. mean by time to time. I yeah. don't mean morning, noon, and night. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Snack time in between and then <laughs> beer. For, okay, yeah. Yeah, and most of us, myself included, don't have immune systems that are in top shape, yeah. right? Like, and Same. we can't handle those Same. assaults even occasionally. Yep. So I think that we've basically, especially each successive generation, 
becomes more and more susceptible because we've been inundated since we were in utero with toxins and chemicals and microplastics and physical and chemical and emotional stress. And now it's things like social media and the comparison trap and the stress of like Mm -hmm. bullying and school. And yes, yes, exactly. It gets worse with every successive generation. And so it's not just the physical assaults, it's the emotional assaults that we're undergoing. Um, and the fact that we're on our phones all the time and people can reach us 24-7 and we're mm-hmm. constantly, quote unquote, mm-hmm. on call. Like yep. you're always on because yep. you're always reachable. Yep. It's a problem, right? Like It's a problem. It's increasing our stress whether we're conscious of it or not. And yep. so I would say the majority of us do not have immune systems that can handle the assault of gluten on any sort of regular basis. Hey there, Renegades, Eleni here, briefly interrupting this episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. I wanted to highlight a company that Kay and I have recently discovered that we love, and that company is Bulletproof. Bulletproof sells high-quality nutritional supplements, and every product that Kay and I have tried from them personally, we have found to be excellent. It's important when you choose a supplement that it contain the bioactive forms in order for it to be effective, and Bulletproof has just the right forms in just the right amounts. Right now, if you go to Bulletproof.com and use the code RENEGADE15 at checkout, you can receive 15% off your order. That's RENEGADE, R-E-N-E-G-A-D-E-15. Use that code at checkout to get 15% off and we'll earn a small commission too. Thanks for your support. All right, back to this week's episode of the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, in functional medicine, I've referenced this before, but we kind of look at it as like an individual is a cup, right? And they can only hold so much water. So like every assault, whether it's physical, chemical, or emotional, is like a drop of water being added into yeah. that cup. Just a drop. Just a drop. Just a drop. Yeah. But you add enough drops and pretty soon the cup is filled to the brim. Yeah. And all it takes is one more drop for it to overflow. Yes. Yes. So smart. And that could be anything. It yeah. could be an illness. It could be the loss of a loved one. It could yeah. be a looming deadline at work. It could be a poor night's sleep. Mm-hmm. It could be a car accident. It could be a sedentary lifestyle. It could be an infection. It could be smoking. It could yeah. be a parasite. Yeah. It could be taking an antibiotic. It yeah. could be starting a new medication. And for most of us, it could be gluten. Yeah, yeah. It's a straw that broke the camel's back, like mm-hmm. that final. Yeah, true. true. So it can be that final drop of water that causes the cup yep. to overflow, which again is why it's so hard to identify any one particular thing as a problem. Yep. Um, so watch your cup, y'all. Yeah, check, exactly. Check all the drops. Exactly. And it's yep. especially bad if we are like most Americans having gluten at every single meal. Like mm. our, at breakfast, we're having maybe like toast or a pastry. Yep. <laughs> and then at lunch, it's a sandwich with bread. And then like dinner, we have a bowl of pasta. So it's kind of this constant assault for many of us. And then the cup overflows and we don't have any idea that it's overflowing and we're still just inputting one assault after another. And the inflammation in the body grows and grows until we have some sort of physical manifestation of it, like a skin complaint or brain fog or memory issues or fatigue or digestive upset. And then we finally, at this point, 
start to think, oh, something doesn't feel right. And then we usually still put it off for yeah. like another few years. Yeah. True, true, true. <laughs> yep. And then most of us go see a medical professional who doesn't really have a background in nutrition, who's not trained in nutrition, and that's not going to be their first, yeah. for, for many of them, that's not going to be their first line of defense. They're going to be like, oh, okay, well, you have heartburn. Here's a medication for that. You have anxiety. Here's a medication for that. But you're not getting at the root cause of yeah. the problem. Yep. Um. So one more thing that makes gluten a problem besides its direct impact on our organ health is that it has addictive properties. So, oh, really? Yes. Oh, no, my addictive personality is going to like that. Um, in our sugar cereal podcast, we talked about the addictive power of sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, well, mm-hmm. it turns out that gluten has addictive powers similar to those of sugar okay that makes sense because it's like i need the bread i want that yes so remember at the beginning of the episode i said we would kind of get into this a little bit as to why people get so angry yes it's kind of the same effect as when you tell somebody they need to quit drugs like if you've ever been in the unpleasant position of having to intervene in that sort of a situation you know that it's not pretty Mm. when you are taking something that's very addictive away from a person. And I'm not saying that people react to the same extent when I tell them to give up gluten, but it's not always super far from that. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's literally, it's literally an addictive Mm. substance. So gluten breaks down in the body into a mix of amino acids that can actually cross the blood brain barrier. So our brain has this, what we call the blood brain barrier, which is a very protective barrier that protects many, the brain from many chemicals that could cross that barrier. It prevents that. Um, but gluten is one of the things that can cross that barrier. Oh. And once it's in the brain, it binds to morphine receptors, which are the same receptors that opioid drugs bind to. And it produces a high. Bread makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. It creates a pleasurable wow. and addicting effect. Wow. And likewise, when somebody quits gluten or takes an opiate blocking drug like naltrexone, the effect is blocked and the person goes through legitimate withdrawal periods, wow. which can be distinctly unpleasant and mimic the effects of withdrawal from drugs. Wow. So when people react to eliminating gluten from their diet. I don't like look at them judgmentally or mm-hmm. anything like that, but I understand it is literally like taking a cigarette away yeah. from a smoker. Wow. It's like, no, I need this. Oh mm-hmm. my. Wow. Or alcohol away from an alcoholic or drugs yes. away from a narcotic abuser. Yeah. It's going to cause a emotional response and make them angry and i've experienced that when i tell people they need to go gluten-free they get like angry about it and once i understood this i have a lot more compassion and grace for that process because i understand it's not their fault they're addicted they don't know hard it's hard wow and for those of you who are choosing to eliminate gluten you should be aware that you may go through a withdrawal period and you may not feel great physically or emotionally for a period of time um, just like you would if you were quitting any drug And for parents who remove gluten from their child's diet, I think you should be prepared for some behavioral issues to arise um, and know your child is likely being affected emotionally by the withdrawal and that they may not be feeling all that great. Wow. Um, But that phase will pass just like it does for anyone who's addicted to any substance that 
withdrawal period will pass and they will start to feel better, but it, it, it can take time and it takes more time for some people than for others, depending on yeah. the level of addiction and their personal health and supportive systems and all of that anyway. Wow. Um, as David Perlmutter uh, wrote in his book, Grain Brain, gluten is this generation's tobacco. I can so see that. Mm -hmm. Oh, my word. And even as conscious as I am with my kids and what I feed them, bread (laughs) is the easy, cheap filler Mm -hmm. that it's like, oh, you know, like manna. This is, you know, God's food. This is good. Like I'll just easy and cheap and filler and it's not sugar necessarily. So I'm even so guilty. Oh, my word. Mm -hmm. I have to go home and clean my cupboards. Yeah, oh my. which is funny, manna, we, we call it like bread from Hannah, from heaven, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but I actually like the closest thing I've seen uh, and who actually like really knows what it was made from. But yeah, I've, yeah. I've heard yeah. reports that people think it was closest to like a coriander seed. Oh, more of like a seed. Like a seed wafer, like a coriander seed wafer. Okay. Anyway. And look at America commercialize it like it's some like... <laughs> Gluten bouncy Wonder Bread. Oh yeah. my word! <laughs> yeah, like he was dropping just prepackaged loaves yes. of Wonder it, Bread. It's like soft bounce when they hit the desert. <laughs> yeah, it was more like thin, like Crunchy. thin wafers that yeah, wow, were, were similar to coriander. Anyway, interesting. Which which that kind of leads me to like for my kids like to have that replacement of like a seed cracker. I just got the Mary's as a super mm. seed cracker. Mm-hmm. It's really good. We'll get to that at the end. Keep going. Yeah, I do have yep. good substitutes. Yep. I like Mary Mary's Gone Crackers is a good one. Too good. We love you, Mary. Um, So I'm going to read through a list of conditions that indicate gluten sensitivity that can be alleviated or improved by eliminating gluten. Mm. So just just as a like explanation it doesn't mean if you have this condition that you have for sure a gluten sensitivity but the majority mm-hmm. of people who have these conditions have a gluten sensitivity and the condition can be alleviated by eliminating gluten so that list includes ADHD autism spectrum disorders alcoholism amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or ALS Allergies and food sensitivities, anxiety, autoimmune conditions such as MS, type 1 diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, etc. Remember, autoimmune conditions in and of themselves is like a list of over 300 indicated. They indicate that you have a gluten sensitivity. Mm. Bone pain, osteopenia and osteoporosis, brain fog, cancer, chronic stress, Chronic constipation or diarrhea, chronic fatigue, dairy intolerance, depression, diabetes, digestive complaints such as gas, bloating, diarrhea, etc., epilepsy, failure to thrive and grow in children, focus and concentration problems, frequent colds or infections, heart disease, headaches and migraines, hives and rashes, hypertension, high cholesterol, arthritis, joint pain, insomnia, intestinal problems including irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, memory problems and cognitive impairment, miscarriages, dementia and Alzheimer's, neurological disorders including schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, that sort of thing, obesity, Parkinson's disease, seizures and epilepsy, Tourette's syndrome, and tremors. 
So good heavens, you mean everything. <laughs> everything bad that could happen to your mom. Kind of, yeah. I'm like, wow. I can't think of anybody that doesn't have one, one of those things. Of those things. It may be more mild, like digestive complaints, but yes. I literally can't think of anybody that doesn't have seasonal allergies or yes. digestive issues or brain fog or yes. ADHD or tremors or Parkinson's. Seriously. <laughs> So any of those conditions may find their root in gluten sensitivity or leaky gut caused by chronic gluten exposure. Wow. And remember, many of these conditions are also associated with sugar intake and inflammatory oils. So it's not always just gluten acting alone, but gluten is a key component in processed foods and its removal will naturally clean things up a little bit. Wow. And it usually will help you remove those other things too. Wow. You know what? I knew you would convince me of this today. And here you've gone and done it. <laughs> Doggone Check. it. Which, which I truly have cleaned it into my life. But the kids, I've kind of let it go because it is like, golly, life is hard. Um, but now this is a conviction to really clean that up for mm-hmm. the next generation and their yeah. lifespan and their happiness and their wow. Yeah. And my feeling is, um, you know, kids, once they get old enough, once they reach adulthood and can make decisions for themselves yeah like that's the beauty of being in a free country is you get to choose for yourself yeah but we're kind of doing our kids an injustice when we make that decision for them right like when we give them the addictive yeah like, substance the when addictive, they're so young their whole life yeah they don't know mm-hmm. any different and we give it to them and it's damaging their health and that's without their consent, right? Like they yeah. don't know any better and we're, yeah. now we know and, yeah. and many adults don't know any better either. Right. So it I'm was, not meaning well, that to sound judgmental. Right, right. It was in our ignorance. Right, right. right. Yes. But but now we're making that decision for them. Wow. So, um, that's tough. That's tough to swallow, but yeah. you gotta go gro- grocery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I will give you guys a whole list of replacement products at the end. So don't, don't worry. Okay, okay good. It's, You're not leaving us blind with no, no hope. No, no, no. No. Wow. Um, I think usually about this time is when people ask me the question, like, if gluten is so bad, yeah. how come we didn't start all getting this sick like 10,000 years ago when agriculture and cultivation of grains started, yeah, yeah, right? Like, fair. why does it seem like it's a more recent problem? Yeah, fair um, question. Yeah. And actually, I was just talking to my husband before recording this episode, and we were talking about it. I was reading Grain Brain, and I was I was just talking about gluten. And he's like, well, Jesus and his disciples ate gluten. Like, oh, they, the ate, bread, they right? ate grain. Yeah. They ate bread. Like, if gluten was a problem, how come nobody back then had celiac disease? But actually, celiac disease was diagnosed just without that title, Within that time frame, I mean, mm. thousands of years ago, doctors first, like the, the that version of doctors, first were finding it as problems. It just didn't have that same title. Mm. And as I've just described, look at the whole list of conditions that gluten sensitivity can be associated with. And so think back to those days, who, who would have necessarily thought to attribute it to gluten, right? Like yeah. that's a whole list of different conditions. Yeah. And doctors thousands of years ago, actually much more often than doctors today, looked at the body as a whole, but still we didn't have the powers of like microscopes and ways of like cell, cell cultivation in a lab that we do now where we can actually look at things on a molecular level. They didn't have those tools, so they didn't necessarily have much beyond the power of observations to make that kind of a call. But now we know by looking at things on a molecular level, 
that gluten is the root cause of many of these things. Um, and I, I honestly, I think that's a really valid question. Like, well, why haven't we been having problems for 10,000 years? So here's the truth. (laughs) The grains we eat today could not be any more different structurally and genetically than the grains the disciples were eating Mm -hmm. in Jesus's day. And the biggest changes actually took place in just the last few decades. Mm -hmm. So ever since Gregor Mendel, anybody who's taken like any science course is probably familiar with Gregor Mendel and his peas. He was like crossing different peas and, and, and coming up with different colors of pea flowers. Okay. <laughs> pea flowers. <laughs> um, made me think of our last podcast where we were talking about butterfly pea powder. And yes. first you thought I meant ground up butterflies. And then you thought I meant <laughs> ground up butterfly pea. I'm not eating that. I'm just not. That sounds terrible. Pea flowers. Gregor Mendel was like, yeah, anyway, I love Gregor Mendel. That's funny. Um, so he was playing with plant genetics and hybridizing different plants. Um, and realize that they can result in new offspring. And ever since that time, the early 1900s, we've been mixing and matching plants to create genetically manipulated products Mm -hmm. that are bigger and better, in quotes, Mm -hmm. than their predecessors. Um, And modern food manufacturing of wheat, which hinges more on hybridization than on bioengineering, because they're isn't actually much GMO wheat in the U.S., if any. Oh. Um, But it's hybridized, which is different. Um, And that has enabled the development of structurally modified grains that contain gluten that is more concentrated and less tolerable than the gluten found in grains consumed even just a few decades ago. So, um, like 60 years ago, gluten and grains were different than they are today. So the problem has really gotten worse a lot more recently. Um, And it isn't just the hybridization of grain that causes issues. It's also how we grow and harvest it. Mm -hmm. So grain today is sprayed with all kinds of chemicals, pesticides and herbicides, which is a problem. And a lot of people who have issues with grains and gluten um, are actually reacting to those chemicals that are being sprayed on the Mm -hmm. product. Um, And then another part of the problem has to do with the actual logistics of harvesting. So not that long ago, farmers used to go into a field with a scythe and they would cut the gluten down or the the wheat, like bundles of wheat or the grains or whatever they're growing. They'd cut it down. They'd tie it up in a shock, what's called a shock, and then they would leave it in the field. Um, And that was always done in the summer, early fall. So it would get dry in the daytime and then dew would come in at night and it would get damp overnight and then it would dry again and then it would get damp again. And so you had this dry, damp, dry, damp, dry, damp cycle that it would go through while it sat in the field waiting for them to come and bring it in and process it. And that gently fermented the grain a little bit before harvest. And that gentle curing process has a dramatic effect on the enzymes, just like any fermentation or curing process. Mm. So it would actually help break down and digest the gluten. So we had different grain products with less concentrated gluten in them. And then it would gently ferment and the gluten would be even further broken down. Today, we go in with a machine and we harvest it within a day or two. And within a few minutes, it's taken to a grain dryer and it's dried and processed and hold and ground up into little itty bitties. And then it doesn't go through any sort of fermentation process. And I don't think we're really clear yet on what the effects of that change are. But we know that there are definitely indicators that it's changed the enzymes and the digestibility of the seed heads. So... 
obviously this new method of hybridizing, growing, and harvesting grain is problematic, as is clearly demonstrated by the fact that there's been a fourfold rise in celiac disease in just the past 60 years. Plus, today we, you know, we aren't just getting gluten from eating grains and bread like we did thousands of years ago. Today, we also have exposure to gluten in just about every packaged product we buy Mm -hmm. from the grocery store, as well as in lotions and creams that we're applying to our body and the shampoos that we're massaging into our scalps. So our exposure to gluten is far more extensive and continuous than it was a thousand years ago. So yes, (laughs) our ancestors 10,000 years ago were eating grain and gluten-containing products, but not at all in the quantity Mm. or quality that we are consuming them today. And they certainly weren't rolling around in it and rubbing it all over their bodies and their (laughs) hair and their eyeballs. Right, 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 right. Leave it to modern world America to just like... exponential something like oh a little bit of gluten here's a thousand times gluten yeah exactly go big or go home go big or go home america all right so how do you eliminate gluten (laughs) yes so the easiest way is to avoid processed foods because then you're also eliminating the sugar and the inflammatory oils and the artificial food colorings that we've talked about Win, win, win. Yes. Hopefully you've listened to enough podcasts by now that you know, get rid of processed. The answer (laughs) at the end of the podcast is almost always going to be eliminate processed (laughs) foods. Eliminate processed foods. (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. Um, As we mentioned earlier, gluten is found in a litany of products besides bread and pasta. So uh, begin extensively label reading if you haven't been already, which I have had so many people tell me. Ever since I've listened to your podcast, now I'm reading the label on every product in the grocery store. If you can't read it, don't buy it. Exactly. And if there's more than five, that better just be saying spices. Yep. So here are some of the most, from the book Grain Brain, I assimilated a list. Um, Here are some of the most surprising things that contain sneaky gluten gluten. that you may not know about. Um, Canned baked beans, Mm. blue cheese. Commercially prepared broths and bouillons. Oh. Chocolate milk. Oh. E- <laughs> egg substitutes. Wow. Energy bars. Flav- yeah. Watch yeah. those, man. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Flavored Lots. coffees and teas and non-dairy creamers. Oh. French fries. Oh. Fruit fillings and puddings. Yeah. <laughs> Hot dogs and processed meats, including cold cuts. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah, they're oftentimes fillers in them. Because we always get uncured things, but I'll have to check. And and if it's like a single ingredient like bacon, it's not probably going to contain gluten. But if it's got a whole list, you need to read the list of things. And they may not always list it. And I'm going to go through some alternative names it hides under too. So I'll give you that resource. Mm -hmm. Um, Ice cream. Imitation meat products like imitation crab, imitation bacon, vegetarian burgers. Uh, I was like, don't eat imitations. Don't I don't imitations. know. Just... If it's not that product and you don't want to have that product, just don't have that product. Right. <laughs> imitation of an orange. Just, yeah. give me the just orange. don't do it. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Ketchup um, and other condiments, marinades, processed cheese, roasted nuts, oh. salad dressings, soup, soy sauce, syrups, trail mix, vodka, and other alcoholic beverages, wheatgrass. Vodka. Wheatgrass. Vodka, wheatgrass. 
Wheatgrass. Okay. Wheatgrass. Wheatgrass. I guess, yeah, I suppose it makes sense if you're growing wheatgrass. But it looks like grass and then, so there's gluten in the, interesting. Mm -hmm. Lipstick and lip balms, stamps and envelopes that require you to lick them. Wait, wait, wait. (laughs) Sneaky bastards. Sneaky bastards (laughs) putting gluten in your envelopes. (laughs) And vitamins and supplements. Oh, yeah. That's not right. And sometimes gluten is even more sneaky and it hides under other names. So some of those names, which we'll put these lists in the show notes so you don't have to remember you know, all these. Remember them or type yeah. type some notes really fast. But some of the other names that gluten hides under is amino peptide complex. Make it sound very scientific. Mm-hmm. Avena sativa, which is a form of oats. I see that a lot on like lotions. Avena sativa. That's a good name, actually. Mm-hmm. That's good branding. They just Sticky. Brown rice syrup. Oh. Caramel color made from barley. Cyclodextrin. Dextrin. Hydrolysate. Hydrolyzed malt extract. <gasps> hydrolyzed vegetable protein or just plain vegetable protein, maltodextrin, modified food starch. I have seen maltodextrin in so much, and I had no idea what it was. I just mm-hmm. assumed it's some weird process, but... Sneaky name for gluten. It's not gluten. always containing gluten. They can but make it, it gluten-free, but it could it could contain gluten. If it's not, gluten, if it's not certified gluten-free, like if the product wow. doesn't say it's certified gluten-free or it mm-hmm. doesn't say gluten-free... Um, then the maltodextrin contains gluten. Okay. Modified food starch, natural flavoring. Uh, so that's, that's in everything. In everything. And yeah. you think like, oh, natural flavoring is better than artificial flavoring, but actually natural flavoring can contain gluten. Um, soy protein, cereal, triticum, acetum, or vulgari, and yeast extract. Okay. So those are all sneaky pseudonyms that gluten can hide under. Wow. Wow. Okay. So unprocessed, like single ingredient foods will never contain sneaky gluten. Those weird (laughs) words you can't pronounce. But once you start getting processed foods, like all bets are kind of off because it's most likely going to contain it because again, it acts as a binder. It acts as a thickening agent. It acts as a gelling agent. filler. It makes things chewy. It makes them the right texture. It's most likely in those products unless they say that they're gluten free. Um, so here are some starches and grains that are gluten-free that you can trust are always going to be gluten-free. Okay. I'm writing this down. Yeah. Amaranth, arrowroot. Oh yeah. Arrowroot. Mm -hmm. Arrowroot. Buckwheat, which is misleading. Misleading. But buckwheat, that's one of my favorites. Okay. Um, cassava, millet, corn, potato, quinoa. Rice. These are good. Sorghum. Yeah. Soy, for the most part, unless it's like soy sauce, which is made like soy sauce contains like this wheat fermentation. Mm. But you can get tamari, which is gluten free. Okay. It's made without wheat. Okay. And I do coconut um, aminos for that. It's but another. soy itself yeah. is gluten free. Mm. Tapioca and teff. So those are gluten free. Okay. Um, good. Good. And then the gluten free oats you said. I'm going to look that gluten-free up. Gluten free oats. Okay. I'm going to look that up too. Okay. Yep, you can buy, it just has to say gluten-free oats. If it doesn't say they're gluten-free, then it contains gluten. Mm. Um, and 
a caveat to this is that I'm not simply recommending replacing gluten products with gluten-free products because many gluten-free products are still high in sugars and are refined and are processed Mm -hmm. and they still contain the inflammatory seed oils like sunflower oil, safflower oil, canola, rapeseed, cottonseed, etc. And they also contain a lot of starches like potato starch and tapioca starch and arrowroot starch and binders like xanthan gum or guar gum. All of those things are added to mimic the effect of gluten, which is hard to mimic otherwise without those things. And I don't love those. Like like a high starch diet is still not that great for the gut. Like we still don't want to be eating tons and tons of starches. It's okay to have them, but it's like if you're just replacing your morning, noon, and night bread products with gluten-free products, you may feel better in the short term because of removing the gluten but all those starches still kind of are gummy and and sticky mm. and hard to digest in the digestive system Ugh, so you and can't i cheat the system yeah i mean you could start there if you need to start there but i yeah. don't i don't recommend staying there okay um and i don't okay. love fillers like xanthan gum because they aren't nutritious and they can be inflammatory in their own way oh, um dang. which i, I won't get into that. today but yeah. um but yeah a lot of those fillers the guar gum the xanthan gum they have their own yeah mediators they're their own mediators of inflammation so um and and a high starch high carbohydrate diet isn't good for us remember going back to how our ancestors ate 75 percent fat 20 percent protein five percent carbohydrates so that high carbohydrate diet even if it's gluten-free isn't good for us we're still eating 60 percent carbohydrates today compared to five percent which is how we were evolved to consume carbohydrates yeah Yeah. so so simply replacing gluten with a bunch of other high starch foods isn't like that's not the solution to better health right it can help you if you're celiac or gluten sensitive it can help eliminate that and that's good if that's the first step you need to take great transition get you there yep but don't just continue eating all of those refined products that now are gluten-free and you see gluten-free on everything like i've seen it on bottled water i'm like (laughs) what a gimmick like and everybody's like well i didn't know water had gluten in it i guess i have to buy the gluten-free water i'm like no you can put that label on anything if it doesn't contain gluten right right doesn't mean other variations that don't say they're gluten-free do Do contain gluten like gosh cloudy water must be flower in my <laughs> yeah it's so nice and chewy this water that <laughs> so so i'm not just saying like go and buy all the processed gluten-free crackers and cookies and pastas and breads and chips and fill your pantry with these things um but i understand that sometimes you just you want to make a baked good or you want to find a yep. way to like bread or coat meat yep. or thicken a soup or a sauce or make a meal more filling or make your kids pancakes or waffles on a Saturday morning. Like I get that. Yeah. Yep. I'm not a monster. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's important to find a balance. Yes. Yes. Um, so for replacements, um, for replacement flours to start, for those of you who like to bake, I personally like almond flour and coconut flour as Mm. more nutritious replacements for like regular white flour. Yeah. Um, And there's no shortage of recipes online that use those two flours. So as long as you have one or both on hand, you're going to be able to follow most simple gluten-free recipes. Like that's been my experience is everything's made with either almond flour, coconut flour, or some mixture of the two. And I will say almond flour is really moist. Mm -hmm. Coconut flour is really dry. 
So when I bake with them, I almost never bake with solely one or the other. I usually combine them. Even if it's like a cup of almond flour and just a tablespoon of coconut flour, that's the way I found to make Mm -hmm. like almond flour goods that don't just totally turn to mush. Like the like coconut flour helps dry them out. Um, Mm. And I also really like buckwheat flour, which contrary to its name is a type of berry. It's not wheat. It's a berry. Um... And the flour can usually be used cup for cup in recipes for regular wheat flour. And it's also pretty nutritious as far as flours go. Okay. Um, A flour product that I really like that's gluten-free is the cup for cup brand. So it's cup for the number. Okay. Cup for cup. And their wholesome flour blend is the one I like. Um, Specifically the wholesome one because there are multiple kinds. Um, but the wholesome one is a little bit cleaner and I kind of searched online around like quite a bit before I selected that one and it seemed like the best with the best reviews. Um, it has brown rice flour, white rice flour, golden flaxseed meal, rice bran and xanthan gum. Okay. So like I said, I don't love the xanthan. Yeah. yeah, I don't love the fillers like xanthan gum, but this product is really nice where you absolutely have to mimic regular gluten flour. Yeah. And we only use it occasionally. I mean, we, yeah. we use it pretty rarely. Yeah, but your um, drips in your cup. There, you're all right. Yeah, exactly. I still prefer the like single ingredient flours, like the almond flour, or buckwheat, or coconut flour. Um, but the cup for cup wholesome flour is a really nice substitute. Where like I have found with that, I can just follow any recipe, so it doesn't have it to be just like the yummy. Yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a gluten free recipe, mm-hmm. which there's no problem finding those. But sometimes you find a regular recipe and you just want to make it gluten-free. And that cup for cup flour, I have found it to be very trustworthy in all the recipes I've tried. Yeah. I don't have to do anything special. Like if you're substituting almond flour for regular wheat flour, it's going to be really different. The cup for cup, I don't have to tweak the recipe at all. I can use the same amount of liquid ingredients and it it comes out the same. Yum. I mean, obviously, it's a little bit different because it's gluten-free, but right, like... Right, right, For the most Closest part. Closest for what is acceptable. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I also understand that for those of you who are, have really busy lifestyles and are on the go a lot or you have kids, having something like bread or a wrap or pasta can just make life easier. Mm. So um, sometimes, like, you just have to be able to make your kids a peanut butter sandwich, like... I, know. I get that. We or make French days. toast, yeah. right? Like you have to make French toast. Yes. Um, so I, while I don't simply recommend replacing gluten products with gluten-free products, there are a few products that do it better. So for sandwich bread, I really like the brand um, Simple, Needs, Simple Needs, spelled K, K-N-E-A-D-S. Oh, like needs. needs. Like kneading bread. Little play on oh, words. That's cute. Good branding, guys. Yeah, I like their bread. Um, it's just a more simple, it's a more simple bread, a more basic recipe. It's not filled with a bunch of crazy ingredients that are unpronounceable. Yep. And unnecessary. Um, yeah. I like the brand Happy Campers. Cute. Cute. Mm-hmm. And then the Food for Life brand, which makes Ezekiel bread. If you've ever had like the yes. Ezekiel, like yep. whole grain bread, yep. they have a gluten-free bread. Oh, they do. Mm-hmm. Okay. And all of these breads, like all those brands I just mentioned, they do have sunflower or safflower oil in them, um, which is not preferable, Mm -hmm. but it is a good substitution when you just need something quick. So again, not great to have those inflammatory oils. I don't recommend doing it all the time, but I understand like 
Keep reality. a loaf in your freezer if you need yeah. to make your kids, you know, a sandwich for their lunch that day. Like, just use something like that instead. Or if you need to be on the road, it's certainly better. They're yeah. better alternatives. And those ones, all of those have good, like, sprouted grains in them and whole, like, just good ingredients that yeah. are gluten-free, that aren't just a bunch of weird starches and fillers. Yeah. Um, and And because we couldn't find a gluten-free bread that didn't have bad oils in it, which was upsetting to me. My husband started making our own gluten-free sourdough bread, which is actually like much easier and less time intensive than regular sourdough bread Mm. um, and is amazing. But I understand lots of people aren't going to have the time for that. But like Mm. if you want to make homemade bread, it's actually not that hard to make a gluten-free sourdough. There's lots of good recipes out there. Making the starter for it was easy. Um, Good Lord. <laughs> I'm at the mercy of Kay's dinging iPad here. I'm going to have 30 messages when I get back. You have more than that. <laughs> um, so I did find an oil-free, gluten-free bread on Amazon. You did. Sold by the brand Young Cobras. Mm. Um, and it looks like pretty clean ingredients. Okay. But I haven't personally tried it, okay. so I can't. Tell Young you if cobras. it's good or not. Young Cobras. And, and they spelled Cobra with a K. They sound like my kind of people. I yeah. don't know. Um, but their reviews were so-so. Oh. They had like 3.5 stars out of 5. So Oh, maybe I want it a little drier. Does that, I feel like they sometimes go yeah, a little drier? Yeah, some people complained that it like fell apart. I was reading through the reviews. One person said that they would give it 5 stars. This always cracks me up. They said they would give it 5 stars, but the packaging was covered in, in like snake decorations. <laughs> They didn't, they didn't like that. <laughs> They're like, well, a lot of people don't like snakes. And I prefer panda bears on my <laughs> loaves of bread. <laughs> They're being picky. <laughs> I was like, why? Why? This is why I read through the reviews and I don't just look at the stars because like nine out of ten times somebody's being like, well, I didn't use the product at all as directed, but it didn't work. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay. I stubbed my toe that day, so one star. <laughs> my dog took a dump on the box when it first arrived and it ruined the product and it should have been able to stand up to dog dumps. Dog dumps. <laughs> One star. One star. Yeah. That's anyway, hilarious. that cracked me up. They were like, I'd give it five stars, but there's snakes all over the packaging and a lot of people don't like snakes and maybe you should take like take it down a notch on the snakes. <laughs> It's like, oh, okay, get off the Amazon. Okay, Becky. <laughs> anyway, but so that's that was an option. And there are others out there. That's just the one I found that looked like good ingredients and that's had funny. decent reviews. That's funny. Um, they weren't, they're they kind of like so-so. But um, anyway, so there's your options for bread. <laughs> I won't forget that name, Young Cobra. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I have no affiliation with them whatsoever. I'm not recommending their product. That's just what I found. You're not going to forget it. <laughs> Thanks, snake guy. Thanks, snake guy. I'm going to order it now. <laughs> yeah, you can let us know how it is. I will. I will. Um, for wraps, like bread, like wraps that you can use oh, for yeah. taco shells or you could use for like turkey wraps or sandwich wraps or whatever. I really like the Siete brand. Um, Love Siete. I like their brand a lot. They have good almond flour wraps and cassava flour wraps. Yes. Um, the almond flour wraps you can buy at Costco and you can save on the price for sure, though they're still kind of pricey as a lot of these substitute products are. Fair. Um, Fair. They're really tasty though and they're a good substitute for regular tortillas. And again, keep in mind the market works off of supply and demand. So yeah. 
if people start demanding these products more often, then more companies will create these alternatives. And if we focus on the ones that have Mm -hmm. good, clean ingredients. Purchase power. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So they are expensive for now, but I still think it's a good idea to support the companies that are doing it right so that you can create more demand in the marketplace and then they can make them for cheaper because then the bulk ingredients become cheaper. Um, I also really like the Siete brand grain-free taco shells. Those are so good. And their (laughs) chips are so good. I know that's only a corn replacement, but oh, it's so good. They're good. And they have the good oil made with avocado oil. Yeah, they do it well. Siete family, we love you. Yeah. And for pasta, I like the red lentil pasta. Mm. Um, Berea, that like, or Barilla, I guess I don't know how they pronounce it. Um, the, that's like probably the most common pasta brand you see on the shelves. Yeah. They're actually the only company I found that makes red lentil pasta that it's a hundred percent red lentils. So all the other alternative companies I found, at least when I was searching, gosh, it's been like a a while. It was like a few years ago, but all the other companies I found combined red lentils with brown rice, which is okay, but I just wanted a hundred percent red lentils. So the Barilla Berea brand, they make a hundred percent red lentil. It's just that. Just Just one ingredient. Literally just red lentils. Great. Yeah. Great. Um, And Tinky Yada is a brand that makes a good brown rice pasta. Um, If you are just making the switch for the first time from regular pasta to gluten-free pasta, I would suggest you start out with the Tinky Yada brand um, because it more closely mimics the texture of regular pasta than like red lentil pasta does. And I think most people would eat it without question, like especially kids that are picky. It's just a little bit closer in texture to that regular pasta. So if you're going through that transition time, I'd recommend you start with like a brown rice pasta. Um, But the red lentil pasta is really good. And to me, it's got that al dente and it like feel to it. Yeah. Um, I feel like I should like have the right Italian hand motion with that al dente. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's also really nutrient dense, like red lentils are a nice nutrient dense food. So I like that as an option. Um, And I've also made my own homemade red lentil pasta from a recipe that Mark Hyman shared. It was actually really easy. It was a little bit dense, um, but it's super tasty and it made a good substitute for gnocchi. So that sounds good. It was literally just ground red lentils and then I mixed in like oil, I think. And wow. anyway, it was really good. Okay. And it, it just takes time to like set up. But sometimes things like that are fun. Like, yeah, yeah. I do it more for just the fun of yeah. it. Like, it's a Sunday and I'm home. So I just make a batch of red lentil pasta. But yeah. otherwise, you have Date the night. convenience of the pre made brands that do it too. Or the brown rice pasta. So again, it shouldn't be an everyday and every night sort of thing, but these are products that can make your life a lot easier while you're transitioning to going gluten-free. Um, and I, I think today we're really fortunate that the gluten-free movement has kind of exploded yeah. yes, um, because it has really made it easier to find good quality, tasty, gluten-free products, which didn't used to be the case so yeah. long ago. Yeah. I mean, for poor people who have been celiac for decades, like... It's only the last like decade that gluten-free products have really become prominent on the shelves. And now you can find like a dedicated gluten-free section. So again, label read because a lot of gluten-free products are just filled with alternative crappy ingredients that aren't nutritious and are just starches and fillers. But, you know, ones with a few ingredients that look high quality, that's usually the way to go. And, And watch out for those. Watch out for sugar. Because yep. a lot of gluten-free products make up for the lack of gluten yes. with sugar. <laughs> and watch out for the inflammatory seed oils because yep. 
those are pretty prominent too. So yes, but if you need to make the transition and you're, if you're eating like gluten breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you need to transition to eating (laughs) gluten-free breakfast, lunch, and dinner, find some of those alternative products and then work from there to start decreasing the amount of those starches and alternative flour products that you're consuming because they're not that good for you. Yeah. And you'll get there. Yeah. A little change at a time. Yeah. Speaking from experience. Say yes. People always tell me their diets as if I'm some like judgmental overlord. Like... I'm always so amazed like they're like so ashamed to tell me like oh you'll be like I eat gluten and I have sugar and I'm like oh and I was born perfectly from my mother's womb and never touched any of those products and I was also born of immaculate conception so (laughs) I'm like come on I'm a regular person yes (laughs) Yes. I lived a regular life like I experience all the same temptations you do I understand it like yeah I'm not here to judge. I just, I know there's a better way. I feel better because of the changes I've made. And I want to share that with other people. It's not like I think I'm better. Right. right. I'm like, oh, my life has been so greatly improved by the changes I've made. I want to share that with you. Like it feels selfish to not tell you that you could also make these changes and you could also feel a lot better. And like, I've been where you are and I've been addicted to those products and I know what that feels like. And it's much happier when you're free from that addiction. That's what I want to share with people, not my like judgmental nature. So So if you have an addiction to gluten, don't feel bad. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. Yes. And do what you can today. One step at a time. Just keep taking little steps forward. And you will feel better. Just like Kay, Kay climbs a mountain, right? One tiny, I won't stop. One tiny step at a time. One tiny step at a time. Yep. And yep. if you slip back a little bit, you just take a break and you get back going. One little step at a time. We That's got right. It. Exactly. That's little life lessons for you, friends, on, yeah. this, on this episode of Renegade Nutrition. And thanks for following along. And I got to go get my grocery list because I'm going shopping. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Go be Renegades. Go be Renegades. Thank you for listening to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Please keep in mind that this podcast is an educational service that provides general health information. The content on this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional medical care and diagnosis. You should always talk to your doctor before making a dietary or lifestyle change. Go be Renegades! Go be Renegades!